Welcome to Zero Broke Girls. I'm Jules. And I'm Joe. We started Zero Broke Girls as a way to empower women to take control of their money. We think the first step is to simply start talking about it. So that's what we're going to do. We're so grateful you've joined us for this week's episode. Let's get started. Hey, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to be talking to Basia. If you have no idea what to do with your money, this episode is for you. If you were trying to figure out how to teach your kids about money, you'll definitely want to listen. After graduating from Schulich School of Business in 2017, Bassia was recruited to join TD Bank and quickly became the youngest branch manager in Canada at the age of 23. Talk about impressive. Soon into this role, she noticed there was a large knowledge gap in the general public in terms of basic financial literacy. This led her to launch Money Matters, a financial literacy program in 2018. She created Money Matters so kids, teens, and young adults could learn about responsible money management. Basia has recently been recognized as one of York University's top 30 under 30 changemakers for the positive impact Money Matters is having on the next generation. You're definitely going to want to hear what Basia has to say today. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. Super pumped. You're probably one of our most experienced guests at such a young age in the financial services sector. So we're super excited to talk to you about that because you are kind of the exception to the rule when it comes to women in, in finance and personal finance. Oh, thank you. So as I mentioned, you are super successful at a really young age. Do you remember some of your first experiences with money or as you were growing up, how you became aware of money and started getting interested? Yeah, for sure. So growing up, my parents actually immigrated from Russia to Israel and then to Canada. Wow. So that basically meant they had to start over financially each time they moved countries. And so they were always really conservative with their money mindset and they never you know, engaged in any frivolous spending. So I knew from a really young age that money was um, was limited. It was a scarce resource. And we always had everything you know we needed and even most of what we wanted. But I'd say we, we lived a modest lifestyle and we were money conscious. And as an example of that, when I was younger, I was a competitive dancer and I knew that it was a really expensive sport. And so I wasn't able to do you know, as many dances as I wanted to or train for as many hours as I wanted to if I wasn't pitching in. And so I chose to, at the age of 13, start working so that I was basically putting all my earnings towards dance. And that's how I was able to support my, my passion. And my parents also told me at that time that we can't afford to be putting money aside for your post-secondary education and be paying for as much competitive dance as you're doing. So I was well aware that there was an opportunity cost to money. And so I chose really really early on to make the conscious decision that I want to dance and I want that to be, you know, my focus for my finances and that I'll take care of my education down the line. And so I, I was able to pay my way through school with OSAP and, you know, part-time jobs and things like that. But I would say I definitely grew up being well aware of the value of money. Can you tell us a bit more about what drove you towards the financial services sector? Yeah. So I actually had no idea what I wanted to do for a really long time. I knew that I liked talking, I liked presenting, I liked leading, but I didn't really know how that would translate into an actual job or a career. 
And so I kind of chose business school through process of elimination. It sounded like it offered good opportunity. I knew that I wanted to get into something that could be lucrative. And so business was kind of a logical choice. Right. Yep. <laughs> so I got to business school. <laughs> One thing I didn't really know going in was that like, you have to actually know what facet of business you want to get into. Business isn't a job. Everyone says get into business, but what does that actually right. mean? Like you need to know if you want to work in finance or accounting or strategy or something marketing, marketing. Yeah. and also what's the difference between finance and accounting and so because I didn't actually know what these things were or what a day in the life in those fields looked like I kind of took courses all over the map and figured I'll figure it out as I go along so I basically got to my last year of school and I had taken all these various courses and I still didn't know what I wanted to do and so I started applying to various jobs and each job was kind of something that I felt like, yeah, I could do that. I, I could work in marketing. I could work in, you know, software sales. I could work in finance, but nothing really like sparked that fire inside me until we had one campus presentation where a bank TD came on campus and started talking about this management training program that they were recruiting for. And they basically wanted people that wanted to educate others on financial products and services. They wanted someone that was really passionate about leadership and about team management and conflict resolution. And they would be able to handle escalations that came their way. And everything I was hearing about this job was like the first time that I heard, you know, a job description, so to speak, that felt like it was for me. I was like, wow, I feel like I fit the bill. I could do a really good job at that. Love it. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, I know I can be diplomatic. I love educating and teaching. That's something that I've done in various ways growing up through dance and gymnastics and just tutoring. And so it was something that felt like it would actually spark that passion inside of me. And I would hopefully have opportunity for growth, given that, you know, it's a bank and there's room to kind of climb the ranks. And so that's how I got into financial services. Very cool. So one of the things that you called out on, on your own website is that you noticed very young that Canadians lacked a lot of basic money management skills. How did that come about through what you were doing? And what are some of the things that you saw? That's actually, it's kind of a tough question because there was so much variability to how much people knew and what people knew. Some people would come in and know all the lingo and all the government regulations around registered accounts, and they'd be all over the news about the equity markets and the bond markets. And I would have this really educated client sitting in front of me and I would get really intimidated because I'm like, whoa, 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 I'm supposed to be the professional here. <laughs> but I would say that that was the exception to the rule for the most part. There was definitely a very predominant majority that was simply unaware of how most basic banking worked. And so there was a lot of um, uncertainty about, you know, how fees are calculated or how their interest is calculated or how their credit card works and when they need to pay their balance and the repercussions of not paying their balance on time, um, how to manage your credit card limit that you shouldn't you know, be going over your limit and there's actually certain thresholds that you wanna to maintain to make sure your credit score is in good, good shape. So there was all these different little knowledge gaps um, that were present in the average client and that's what really made me want to do something about it. Yeah, that's amazing that you wanted to try and address that. So what is your perception based on all that on the root causes that's leading to that lack of, you know, financial literacy? Yeah. So I actually 
I thought a lot about this because I, I thought it was really interesting how most people don't know the basics. And I was like, how can it be that, you know, we go through so much schooling, we all go through, you know, undergrad for the most part or college or you do something after university and then you finish and you still have no idea what to do with all that money that you're now making. And it's just sitting in your checking account. That's best case scenario. Or you don't know how your credit card works and you're kind of maxing out all these different credit cards and you don't realize the the drastic you know effect that it's going to have on you long term and so i think the knowledge gap like what's interesting about it is that it's it's prevalent across all demographics like there's no difference between um age or race or culture or profession the only difference that i found was basically if somebody had an interest in personal finance they had to take it upon themselves to learn about it because it's not taught in school and that i think is the root cause of the of the issue is that we we don't have it as part of our curriculum there's no you know personal finance education throughout our elementary school careers our secondary school careers high school and not even in university and i feel like once you get to you know your young adult age you finished your undergrad you're making money at that point you almost feel like you should know these things and it becomes really intimidating to kind of start from scratch because you don't even know where to start yeah something we talk about a lot is how much our husbands have learned from their friends because they all talk about money so much. They talk about investing, they talk about all kinds of stuff. And we largely haven't really talked to our girlfriends about that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's so much missed opportunity just in the everyday conversation that we've noticed as we've embarked on this journey that, you know, men as a generalization seem to talk about this stuff a lot more candidly and a lot more frequently than women do. And I was wondering if you found that as well with your own circle of friends. Yeah, absolutely. And and I actually think that's super representative of our sort of like nature as women. There's a stat I'm sure that you guys have heard where, you know, a, a man will or a male will apply to a job if they meet like a low threshold of criteria. I forget the percentage, but we're so much less likely to apply if we don't meet 100% of the criteria. Yeah. And that totally applies here because we we feel like, you know, when we don't know the lingo, we don't know the terminology that's being thrown around as women that tend to be more, um, you know, perfectionist. We feel intimidated by the fact that we don't know something and we feel like it's dumb to ask. You should know that. So we sort of shy away from the unfamiliar topics. And because finance is honestly full of so much jargon, it makes it really, really intimidating to even approach and you know guys like they feel so much more comfortable to sort of shoot the shit and talk amongst themselves and be like oh what is that what is that half the time they don't even know what they're talking about yes no <laughs> of course not it's just so much more confident <laughs> it's the confidence piece I, I totally agree it's so overwhelming when you you know you're in this situation where you're like I don't understand anything how come I'm the only one or why like you look around and you think that everyone else gets it but that's often not the case exactly I mean that was always my assumption that like there was some things that I just didn't understand but I just assumed everybody else did so I was like okay I guess I got to go google that later like figure out what I'm missing but then I realized that nobody else does either (laughs) we're all just here together exactly And it's so funny because it's like that even at work, like when there's like an issue that I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't know how to do this. I should probably know how to do this. And then I finally summon the courage to ask someone and the person I ask is like, oh yeah, I actually have no idea. And they're like somebody that's been in the role for five years. And I'm like, wow, we're so 
hard on ourselves, like our expectations of ourselves. I mean, obviously it's person to person dependent, but I would say that women tend to be much more critical of themselves than men. And I think that's a huge factor in us wanting to dive in and learn about financial literacy when there's so many, you know, words and terminology thrown around that we're just not familiar Mm -hmm. with. For sure. Because it was never taught to us through no fault of our own, right? No, exactly. Yeah. And even one of the other things that we've been talking about is, I mean, it would obviously depends on family to family, but there's a lot of knowledge that sometimes gets passed down. This is unconsciously to sons more than daughters. I mean, it's only a couple of generations ago that women really didn't have much financial independence. So things like that take generations to overcome, but it's so interesting when you start peeling back all the different layers of how we got here. Yeah, how we got here. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's even even things like, you know, when my dad would need to like fix something in the house, he'd call my brother before he would call me for help. And it's like, I'm equally capable with my two hands and my head and I to help if you taught me, right. But if if it's like the the guy of the house that's being taught, then obviously he's going to have the upper hand when it comes to being handy. Exactly. And it's, it's similar with finances, right? Like you got to be taught. Yeah, exactly. And so on that note, you started Money Matters um, early on in your career. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Money Matters is a financial literacy program that I started. Um, it is run online. So they're live classes over Zoom where we basically start from the beginning. The whole idea is to break it down, make all financial literacy concepts simple and easy to understand from budgeting to building good credit history to understanding your investment options, both in terms of what kinds of accounts you can open up on what platforms and what you can actually be investing in. So the different types of investments, different strategies for investing. We talk about the mortgage process and everything. Like the whole idea is that it's from square one. So I'm not targeting people that have already self-educated and they want to, you know, go that extra mile. No, this is for people that are everyday people that are either frustrated and overwhelmed with their finances or just haven't had the chance to have to manage the finances, but it's coming. So young adults are a huge demographic for many matters, but we also work with uh, young kids, 10 to 13 and high school kids, because I honestly think the earlier you start, the better. You want to get familiar with the terminology. You want to understand what to expect and know how you're going to set yourself up for success so that you don't feel like it's too late by the time you're making money and you don't know what to do with it. That's so smart. Absolutely. I think the younger, the better. So many lessons are put into our minds at such a young age. So your courses are tailored by age group. And you said as young as 10, all the way to 29. When you're teaching younger kids, What kind of questions do you get from them? Yeah, so I've actually had some really endearing questions from the younger groups. I bet. Kids are the best. I love teaching that age. They're so cute. (laughs) They're so so curious and they have no filter. Sometimes it's borderline concerning what they ask. I believe that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's it's hilarious. But ultimately, um, they, they have very, like, almost naive and, like, untainted perspectives of the world so their questions are so valid and that's why I love teaching that age because they're not scared to ask things that even as an adult we might not have the answer but we would never ask because we're like oh well we should 
for example, I had a kid one time. It's funny because at that time, I actually off like the top of my head, I didn't know how to answer. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm up here like teaching a class full of kids. This is when it was still in person before I, I launched it online. Um, and I don't know how to answer the question. So the kid asked, we were talking about investing. We were talking about stocks. And he goes, so if all the stock of a company is sold and I want to buy one, does that mean that I would be told that I can't because it's sold out? Like, can a stock be sold out? And I was like, whoa, can a stock be sold out? Interesting. So the answer is no, it can't be because, because of the mechanism of supply and demand at the right price, there will always be a seller. So like the market is super liquid. There's a lot of supply out there and like the price will just be bumped up until the seller, like the holders of the stock are willing to sell. That's just how it works from like an economic standpoint. But how are you going to explain that to a seven-year-old, right? And I just thought it was the cutest question ever because it was so legitimate, but it was also like something I would never even think to ask because I'm like, well, obviously stocks cannot sell out because you can always buy a stock, but why? <laughs> and then you get, you know, ask these questions. And I actually found that teaching these courses has made me more educated on on the different topics that I'm teaching about because you know questions come my way that I have to then go research and then over time like I feel a lot more confident with with handling questions but at the beginning there were a lot of questions where I was like that's a great question and I do not know the answer and I bet a lot of adults have the same questions they probably just don't ask them for sure yeah exactly (laughs) when you just asked that question I sat here like can it sell (laughs) it right maybe I don't know can it I know. I'm glad you gave the answer. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, with adults, like the questions that they ask are usually very practical. Like they're, they're more like based on my situation, you know, should I invest in an RSP or a TFSA? Mm-hmm. How do I know that I'm ready to apply for a mortgage? So very um, like almost solution oriented. And I, I, I never really struggled with answering the questions of that age group because that was my job like at the bank those are the kinds of questions that I would answer but with the kids they're so much like they have they think outside the box their mind is so much more free I love it and their questions were always more challenging to answer even though like they're you know 10 years old I love it I love that amazing do you notice any difference with the kids as it relates to like boys and girls the types of questions you get or the level of engagement you know I actually find the the younger kids, like the 10 to 13. So that's my youngest group these days. I don't, I don't do younger right now. Um, with them, it's pretty equal. I find there isn't much disproportion with, you know, engagement or asking questions or answering my questions. Like they're all equally engaged. With the high school age kids, like the sort of 14 to 17 year olds, you see a difference. The boys are a lot more um, confident in voicing their thoughts and answering questions. And girls become a lot more self-conscious about giving the wrong answer or not understanding something and you can really see a drastic difference between those age groups and I think it's understandable like with you know what girls go through in high school it you do start to become insecure like we've all been through it you go through puberty it's not a fun time um, no, and you you see it and it, it's kind of sad yeah. well it's funny there's there's a stat one of the media companies did a kind of like an audit of all the media as it related to finances and the characteristics that they put on men versus women. And it was something like 65% of the articles 
put women in a bad light. Either they're, you know, big spenders or they spend in shopping. Like, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. It's all about like women's shopping and, you know, here's a discount code and go cut coupons. Whereas with men, it's overwhelmingly like, you know, go make a smart investment, go build your empire, become an entrepreneur, like all these things. And I mean, it was targeted, it was talking about adults, but I feel like the media influence is probably very similar when you think about like girls, like body image and stuff like that in terms of your competency and your ability to manage your finances, that stuff can't not trickle down, I would imagine. Absolutely. Really interesting. So many factors out there that are just getting into the unconscious mind and then coming out in so many different ways. Yeah. So you mentioned that whether it's, you know, teens or adults, often people are starting kind of at square one. What advice would you have for parents who may not be super confident themselves about money, but want to teach their kids and help their kids, you know, be set up for success financially? I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of free resources out there about different like financial literacy topics and how to teach your kids. But from like a general standpoint, I'd say the most important thing for kids to understand is budgeting. If your kid gets an allowance, they should understand that it's a good idea to not spend it all at once. They should, you know, put some aside towards their short-term goals, maybe some towards their long-term goals, which also requires them to know what their goals are, which is a huge, you know, skill for life. And then of course they can spend some money should be enjoyed and we shouldn't, you know, create a fear mindset around money, but there should be, you know, an aspect of responsibility. If you make money, then you can't spend it all at once. They shouldn't understand that. They should understand there's an opportunity cost to whatever you choose to do with your money. It means you can't do something else tomorrow. And that should be a conversation. So I'd say like opening the dialogue about budgeting and about the opportunity cost of money is a great place to start. And that savings mindset is really going to be, you know, helpful for them for their long-term financial success. That's great advice. So based on all of your experience, in terms of anyone, any age group, any demographic, just starting to think about their finances for the very first time. And they may, you know, even the thought of money for a lot of people is very stressful. Sometimes it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind, just ignore it. What would you recommend or what would be a a good piece of advice for someone in that position that, you know, is starting to come around to the idea, okay, maybe I should start focusing on this a bit. I love this question because square one is always square one. Whether you're a kid, a teen or an adult, I would still give the same advice. If you have never- love it approached your financial situation if you've never put thought towards your financial plan you start at the same spot which is what are your goals and what is your budget and how you're going to get there so i'd say the most important thing to do is to sit down and literally write out your goals what are your short-term goals what do you want to achieve within one year so that's short term what do you want to achieve long term so what's going to take you you know beyond that one year mark and then how much do you need to get there And I'm sure a lot of people have heard the acronym SMART. So you want to make your goals SMART. They need to be specific. So it's not, I want to move out next year. It's, I want to move out to a condo downtown and I will be, you know, I will need my first and last month's rent, which is, well, now it's probably even less, but let's say $2,000 for the first month, $2,000 for the last, that's $4,000 I need to save up as a very simplistic example by this date to move out, right? So it's a specific goal, it's measurable, it's actionable. So the actionable part is you got to break it down to per pay, how much do you need to put aside? Is it feasible for you, right? So that's the R in SMART, realistic, and then timely. So that one year mark. 
So every goal that you write down needs to have your action steps of how you're going to get there. And it's got to be feasible because if you're, you know, creating lofty goals that your, your income is just not going to be able to support, you're not going to be motivated to do it. You're just going to give up because you're going to be like, well, I really wanted to go on this fancy cruise this summer and I needed $10,000, but I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And that really didn't pan out for me. Right. So it's like, right. That's not a great goal. Maybe, maybe your goal should be to bring down your spending a little bit, bring up your income a little bit, you know, there's different things you can do, maybe adjust your goals. So you, yeah, you definitely need to know like what you're trying to achieve and how you're going to achieve it. And I'd say that for those long-term goals, once you know, okay, you know, I want to retire by this age and I want to have this much money and I'm able to put aside this much every month, the next step, that's like, that's step one. The next step is then to work with a financial planner or a financial advisor so that you're not just putting money aside in cash. We all know that that's going to be eroding the value of your money over time because of inflation. So you do want to invest it in the markets and it's okay to not be an expert. Most people that don't work in finance don't know how to invest or what a good strategy for investing is. That's why there's people out there to help you. So it's your responsibility. Unfortunately, no one's going to, you know, make sure that you do this, but it's your responsibility as an individual to seek support, whether it's from a financial planner or a financial advisor and say, you know, I'm looking to invest X amount every month. Can you help me with this goal? And they would run you through a series of exercises to understand your risk tolerance and where you are in life and what you're looking to achieve with your money. And they would put you into a portfolio that would be supportive of your goals. So that's, you know, that's the golden strategy. You have a plan, have a budget, have an action plan for how you're going to achieve your goals and then work with somebody to help you make the most of that money that you're setting aside. And based on what we were talking about before, ask the questions if you don't understand. Don't be, you know, self-conscious if you don't understand something. Exactly. You don't want to leave feeling kind of overwhelmed that you didn't understand anything, right? You went, you set a professional and then you kind of leave being like, I think there's a plan, but I don't really know exactly what it is. I think that can be also challenging for people. That's the absolute worst. Exactly. And honestly, like if you feel that you don't know the terminology or the lingo or it's overwhelming, like you're not ready to go sit with someone, then maybe take a financial literacy course. Like that, that's why I started Money Matters is so that people have a non-intimidating environment where you can just learn the concepts. You can just learn the terminology. You can just learn what you should do. It's not, you know, I'm not looking at people's finances. I'm not here to tell you what you need to do with your money. I'm just here to educate. So if that's something like if, you know, you're listening right now and you feel like I wish I knew how to approach a financial advisor, then I honestly welcome you to take Money Matters because that's the whole goal of the program. And I, I genuinely have a passion to just teach, no strings attached, not selling products or investment advice, just to educate. And I hope Yeah, that- and we'll definitely be linking to your course so that people can can sign up for sure. I appreciate that. We hope everybody goes and yeah. takes it. Yeah. Everybody should go and take it. You obviously started in financial services relatively young, and it sounds like you had a pretty healthy relationship with money from a very young age. That being said, I think we all have kind of a hindsight 2020 for various aspects of our own financial journeys. What is something that you wish you knew earlier in life about money or a perception that you had about money that you know didn't turn out to be true? It can be something we talked about anything else if you have one if you have five we'll take them all yep that's a great question two come to mind immediately maybe i'll think of more the first one is okay i have my issue is that i hate reading super like bureaucratic text 
So when I started my job, I knew there was a pension plan. I didn't really feel like reading into it. Also, you couldn't, um, you couldn't opt into it until like one year's worth of work. So I was like, whatever, I'll look into it after one year. And then a year passed. And then I like didn't do anything about it. Three years into my job, I looked back at that paperwork because I was like, you know, having a pension plan is a really great thing to have. I should probably make sure I'm like maximizing the benefits here. And, and uh, I read into it and I actually missed out on a lot of contributions from my employer because I didn't opt in as early as I could have. I mean, luckily for me, I was still young with my first job. A couple of years into my job is not the end of the world, but over the, like, the entire working life, all that money that I could have been making through matching contributions would have definitely served me well in my retirement years. So my advice is, if you have an employer that has any sort of pension program or RSP matching program, look into what the criteria is and if you're automatically enrolled or if you need to opt in. Because in my case, I did not opt in until my third year. And that was a bummer when I looked back and was like, wow, that's how much money I lost. I made the exact same mistake. Yeah, I was going to say, Joe, you have an example like this too. Yeah, I did the same thing. I didn't. It was like, it was, it was very similar. It was like a uh, employer match and then they you also had the ability to buy um, incremental company stock at a discount I think it was like a 10% discount or something and I went through the course that was like a 45 minute webinar when I joined and I was like every single term went over my head I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about and then I went into the portal and it was like a 1980s like yes. terrible user interface and I was like I don't know how to do any of this and then I basically just got overwhelmed, gave up. And then a few years later, people were talking about like how they had $50,000. And I was like, what? <laughs> how do you have $50,000? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's a hard lesson to learn. It is. Yeah. It's crazy how much you can miss just by, you know, a small moment in time. Like uh, we also had that orientation. And I remember being like, oh, note to self, I should do that. And then I didn't do that. And then I didn't remember about it until three years later. And it's like, gosh, you don't even know what to pay attention to. Because also like when you're starting your first job, you're so focused on like your onboarding process and everything you need to learn and information overload and making a good impression. Yeah. And like, you're not really thinking about putting money aside. Because for me, like I was, my goal was to pay off my student debt. So I was living with my parents and basically putting all my money. I have a, I have a trend here. I put all my money towards something as a kid towards dance, as a young adult towards repaying my school debt. And so I did that, like I paid off my school that I think after about seven months of being in the job. Wow. And then I just forgot about it because at that point it was seven months later. <laughs> exactly. The other one I was actually going to mention about um, things I wish I knew regarding money. So credit cards come with a lot of benefits. And again, that bureaucratic text in there when you get your little pamphlet about everything your credit card does and it's like, eh, whatever, I'm just going to use it and pay it off. However, there are a lot of good benefits that come, especially with premium credit cards. And as an employee of the bank, I was getting a discount for a premium card. So I was using like one of the higher end cards and it came with a bunch of stuff like warranty and purchase protection, all these different things, um, like warranties and products that you buy. But I didn't like care to read into the fine text. So whenever I would buy stuff on that card, I didn't actually know that it was protected or how it was protected, how I could leverage that. Um, so I'm sure I missed the boat on certain things that I could have used the warranty for that I didn't and just, you know, did something else. But one thing that I realized in hindsight, I definitely missed out on was the fact that my card came with something called 
um, Auto Club Deluxe, which was basically a car uh, roadside assistance service. And I was paying for oh. CAA to, ha- to have that, but my credit card came with it. <laughs> I was like, wow. That is such a huge perk. That was like, oh, I was so bummed about that. <laughs> yeah. I remember when my, like I rented a car and it was one of the first times I rented a car and they go about this insurance and they ask you if you want it. And I was like, I don't know, like, should I get the insurance? Probably I got the insurance. And I remember my mom being like, why would you have gotten the insurance? Like, what are you thinking? Like your credit card covers that. And I'm like, well, like how, I didn't know that. And so I think there are a ton of things that, yeah, if you don't understand exactly what you're covered for, there's ways that you can, well, save on things you don't need to purchase because it's covered, but then something like that, yeah, you're buying another service that does the exact same thing that you already have without knowing. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the credit card companies don't go out of their way to tell you all the free things you get with it. No, yeah. They don't. they don't go out of their way for sure. I mean, the idea is, and like, that's one of the, the mindsets of the kind of the bank is from what I've seen is that, you know, as the customer, it's your responsibility to read the documents that you're signing. So like you've signed a credit card agreement, you should be aware of what you've signed. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's also the responsibility of the bank to educate the customers and the bank does take that seriously. But there's just so much information involved that you can't possibly sit down and like go over all the fine print. You kind of, you know, go over the big the basics right like this is your credit card limit this is the interest rate this is when your payment is due these are you know the fees and bob's your uncle see you later (laughs) but there's actually so much more to know yeah i remember when i was getting my first amex because i had started work and everybody had an amex and like just the difference between a charge card and a credit card wasn't until well after i had the amex that i actually understood what the difference was well i (laughs) thankfully i didn't abuse it I've never had an Amex. What's the difference? Well, basically like a credit card, you get a credit limit, but with a charge card, you can pretty much, there's like a daily max, but you can basically continue to put as much on it as you want, as long as you pay it back. And then the interest is higher. So I ended up with a lot more room to charge on my Amex than I would have had on a credit card. Cause at that point I didn't have a ton of credit history. Um, thankfully I didn't abuse it and I didn't end up with, um, their insanely high interest fees, but, um, yeah, it's just a different model. It's actually really interesting. I, so I've only ever worked with MasterCard and Visa. I've never worked with American Express, uh, as a credit card product. So I actually didn't know that that's how they operate. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Well, Basia, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is such a great chat. Totally was. It was my pleasure. I hope, uh, I hope there were some useful t- tidbits in there oh for sure I feel like there are so many things I'd love to pick your brain about so we'll definitely have to chat again in the future thanks for coming on and thanks to everyone listening in we can't wait to have you back with us next week Don't forget to subscribe and join us every Tuesday for a money date wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Zero Broke Girls for details on upcoming episodes, how to find our guests and more. As always, if anything you hear sparks something you'd like to talk or learn about, let us know. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to chat next week.